0: Ever notice how the bigger the tragedy is, the harder it is for the people responsible to apologize. If I rear end your car and crease your bumper, I'm happy to jump out and say, I'm sorry, I can't believe I did that. But if I were to say invade Iraq under false tre- pretenses and kill a million people and spend a trillion of your dollars doing it, I wouldn't say a word. I would never admit that was a bad idea. I couldn't. It implicates me too profoundly. The same goes for if I say, locked your kids inside for a year and destroyed their brains and prevented them from getting an education. Or if I say, forced you to take a vax that didn't work that very well might've hurt you. I could never admit that I did that. I just couldn't. Because if I admitted it, I'd have to suffer the consequences. Something very much like that is happening with the war in Ukraine, which has been in progress now for almost two years. We were told at the beginning that our support would allow Ukraine to beat Russia and keep Russia from invading the rest of Europe or something. Well, almost two years in, none of that has turned out to be true. Ukraine is not going to beat Russia. The only person who's been beaten in this is the United States. The US is weaker, measurably weaker because of our support for Ukraine in this war. That's just true. The verdict is in. And honest, rational people admit that no matter what their previous position. But the Biden administration cannot admit that, and neither can the U.S. Congress. And so now there is, believe it or not, an effort in progress to get the U.S. government to send another 60-odd billion dollars to the oligarchs in Ukraine. So another generation of Ukrainian men, this one probably in their 50s, can die in a pointless war on the battlefield. They're not going to win, but the U.S. Congress would like to keep this conflict going anyway. So. You'd think someone would stand up and say, this is awful, but almost nobody has. Why? Because the position of the administration is if you're not in favor of this, sending another $60 billion to the oligarchs in Ukraine, then you're working for Vladimir Putin. Watch the national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, say that out loud. I wanna ask a question about Ukraine. Are you saying that any member of Congress who votes against aid to Ukraine is voting for Putin?
1: I believe that any member of Congress who does not support funding for Ukraine is voting for an outcome that will make it easier for Putin to prevail. That is a vote against supporting Ukraine is a vote to improve Putin's strategic position. That's just an inescapable reality. That's not speaking to someone's motive, why they chose to vote against it. That's just speaking to the outcome of their vote, a vote against supplemental funding for Ukraine will hurt Ukraine and help Russia. It will hurt democracy and help dictators.
0: (laughs) These people cannot see themselves. A lady in a mask, presumably not on her way to rob a liquor store, but wearing it for health reasons, asked the national security advisor about the moral implications of a vote in the Congress. And he says with a straight face, anyone who doesn't support this legislation is helping Putin. It's insanity but it's intimidated almost the entirety of the US Congress and certainly the Republican leadership, which is four square on the side of the Biden administration to continue this tragedy. There are very few members of Congress who dissent and one of them who has done so consistently and in the most articulate possible way and on principle has been Congressman Thomas Massey of Kentucky, who we wanted to talk to about this and also to thank for his bravery and steadfastness. Congressman, thank you so much for coming on. It might, I mean, I've got so many questions, but. Well, why don't you just tell us why you're not voting for this? Uh,
1: Well, we can't afford it. Look, at uh, some point I realized we had spent more in Ukraine than we spend on all our roads and bridges in the United States. And I tweeted that and Newsweek did a fact check on me. And what they found out is it was true. (laughs) And um, you know, when you get the fact checkers to admit that a conservative, when they give them a uh, mostly true rating, it's a metaphysical certainty. And yeah. since then, we've spent twice as much in Ukraine as we do on all of our roads and bridges federally in the United States. That is money that could have gone to double our infrastructure, yet we're blowing up infrastructure that we're going to end up. Uh, I hate this, but they're going to tell us that we have to rebuild it when this is all over with.
0: It, it, the scale of this insanity is, is hard to digest. And I think whatever empire comes after ours, we'll spend time studying it, you know, what not to do. Um, but you got to wonder, like, why is the leadership of your party, the Republican party in favor of this? Why the new speaker who seems like a nice guy, but also like a child. What, why, why would his first act as speaker be to endorse this? I'm confused. Well, I hope he
1: doesn't, but you know, Biden's budget director, the head of the OMB, sent a letter yesterday to Speaker Mike Johnson, imploring him to spend more money in Ukraine. And what they said is they want to revitalize our defense industrial base. It's uh, that's the new acronym DIB for the MIC, the military industrial complex. And they sent a list of states that would get money when we spend, uh, you know, money on deadly munitions because they have to be manufactured in Alabama or Ohio or Texas. And so, you know, they're saying the quiet part out loud that congressmen tend to vote for this stuff because a lot of this federal spending that goes to Ukraine is actually laundered back to the military industrial complex. And in some ways, not very efficiently, but in some ways it enriches
0: people in their districts and the stockholders, some of whom are congressmen. I, you sort of, that's also grotesque, but it's also straightforward. You know, people are getting rich, so let's do it. Okay, that's an argument. It's an immoral argument, but it is one. But that's not the argument they're making in public. They're saying we have a moral obligation. You're a bad person you just heard the national security advisor say that you're a bad person if you're against this. But no one ever mentions that we have abetted the killing of an entire generation of Ukrainian men that will not be replaced. to fight a war that they cannot win. They literally cannot win. We prevented a peace deal and we extended the war and we killed all these people. And so all the ones running around with their little Ukraine flag pins, they're implicated in that. Has anyone apologized?
1: No, to support this money, you have to be economically illiterate and morally deficient. Those are both conditions of voting for this. Uh, Because to say that we're going to grind down Russia, that we're going to deplete their own soldiers by expending the lives of Ukrainians, knowing that in the end, we're going to leave them holding the bag, that in the end, they can never prevail. They're not going to take back Crimea, even though we, we say that's one of the goals. Uh, when when we can get them to state goals, which usually they won't. So it's it's morally reprehensible to say that you should fund this. And by the way, he says, I'm a friend of Putin because I won't vote for this money. Well, I would say that I'm a friend of Americans and I'm putting America first. But he's part of, I would say, Putin's reelection uh, campaign because Putin is a Cold War relic that was elected in response to our Cold War relic, which is NATO, by expanding NATO, the neocons and the, the liberals, every time they push NATO closer to Russia, they help people like Putin
0: get elected. It's, you know, outside our borders, it's very obvious that the whole world is resetting and that American influence is in very rapid decline, thanks in large part to this war in Ukraine and that Russia is now joining this coalition, which will be the majority of the world's population and economy and military strength aligned against us. So this is resetting the world to our disadvantage. Again, leave the country. It's obvious your first day that this is happening very fast. Does anyone in Washington see that? No, there are very few.
1: Uh, You know, I've been voting against these resolutions in Ukraine and the money going to Ukraine since 2014. In 2014, we helped to overthrow their elected government. And we were saber rattling against Russia and I said, listen, these sanctions and this saber rattling and these resolutions, they're going to have consequences and they have had consequences. Almost nobody in Washington DC will admit this through their voting record. Now they know it, but they won't admit it and they won't vote that way.
0: Do do you think it's strange that, you know, the single, maybe the single most consequential voice in this entire debate is a woman called Toria Newland, who's the undersecretary of state, who was a driving force behind the war in Iraq, which was of course a disaster and hurt the United States. She was never punished for that. In fact, she, she rose within the bureaucracy and now she's running this war in Ukraine. And no one ever says her name. She's never held to account for all of this. She has far more influence on it than the entire United States Congress put together. What, how do we allow unelected lunatics like Toria Newland, who clearly hates the United States and always has, to have this power over our lives and our children's future?
1: I don't know. I feel like some of these deep state bureaucrats, they're like the kids who had no friends in high school and somebody did something bad to them long ago. And now they've got some power and they realize how to to grab it. And they're going to they're going to have retribution on everybody else. Victoria Nuland was at at a classified briefing to all members of Congress just a few weeks ago. And I thought and this was on Israel. And I thought, wait, she's failed multiple times. Why are you dragging her out to, she has no credibility. Why are you having her brief Congress right now?
0: I mean, she's responsible or shares responsibility in the deaths of more people around the world than maybe any other living American. And yet she's in a classified briefing. I mean, I'm not saying she should be in prison, though you could certainly make a case for that. Um, But she certainly should not have a security clearance and be briefing members of Congress. Did anybody say, wait a second, there's nobody more discredited than you are. Victoria Newland? Did anyone say that? Nobody
1: did. Uh, by the way, these classified briefings, they're basically propaganda spoon-fed to members of Congress directly from the deep state and from the administration. So uh, we're going to have one today, in fact, on Ukraine. We'll, we'll, we will all file into an auditorium and leave our cell phones at the door. And um, we're just, you know, I'm sure this is going to be sort of a psyop or struggle session to get
0: us to vote for more money to go to Ukraine. (laughs) I don't understand why the co-equal branch of government, the legislative branch, the Congress allows itself to be manipulated by the intel agencies and the National Security Council. It seems like really crazy and masochistic even.
1: Well, listen, a lot of this money too isn't just going to lethal aid anymore. We're propping up the government. We're paying salaries of, of politicians in Ukraine and we're paying pensions of politicians in Ukraine. Yesterday I met with the Inspector General, Special Inspector General over Afghanistan, and I found out we've spent 6 billion dollars there since we left. There's still money going to Afghanistan and I and he said, you know, you really need he doesn't want the job, but he said you really need a Special Inspector General over Ukraine. And I said, what do you think where where could they be hiding some of this money or where could it be going? And he said, well Look at what they did in Afghanistan, 30 or 40 percent of the special, you know, the police in Afghanistan, their security forces didn't exist. We were paying salaries for people who were on the payroll, but they weren't real people. And now that we're paying salaries in Ukraine, how do we know that those are real people? As a matter of fact, we saw with the PPP program in the United States, people were getting money to pay people that weren't even on their payroll. So there are lots of obvious places to look for waste, fraud and abuse. I wouldn't be funding it to start with. But if we are going to fund it, we need to have somebody auditing this.
0: It's such a humiliating way to end the American empire, such a self-destructive way. I don't think people fully understand just how deep in the hole we are. I noticed that on your your blazer, you've got some kind of device, which I I think tells us the answer. Can you explain it?
1: Yeah, so, you know, I went to MIT. I'm an electrical engineer, and I wondered how I could use my degree here in Congress. And I decided to build a debt clock that I could wear all the time. I wear it on the floor. I wear it in every hearing. And the, the design goal was to induce anxiety. You know, we have congressmen and senators who have <laughs> pacemakers. I thought they needed th- their their heart shouldn't be normal. It should be skipping beats and, and, and rhythmic. So I built this to in, induce that anxiety. It's working pretty well so far. In fact, some congressmen, they vote, they put their voting card in, they press yay to spend the money, and then they look at my lapel to see uh, if it if it's immediate enough to show the impact of their vote. But really we need more people to be concerned about the debt. The interest on this is now gonna overtake all of our military spending. We'll soon be paying more for interest on the debt than we do for our entire military.
0: So that's another word for that is bankruptcy. It can't, I mean, because these are math questions, it can't continue indefinitely. In fact, I think we can see the end of it on the horizon. Is anyone afraid?
1: No, I don't think so. I think uh, the only way we're going to get any kind of austerity or reality in our spending is when the people who loan us the money quit loaning it to us. And what we'll go into, is a spiral there. Like we did during COVID, uh, we printed $5 trillion, created it out of thin air and borrowed it from ourselves to make it look legitimate, filtered it through the bank so they could get some of the money too. And um, that's why we're Why we have inflation? I'm sorry, it's that simple. Again, you have to be economically illiterate if you think that throwing another five trillion dollars into the money supply isn't going to cause inflation. That's what we have. It's it's long lasting. Now, you know, the Fed was supposed to be the firefighter, but really the arsonist. And they're coming in and they're raising interest rates, and they've raised them to the point where it's going to be hard to you know buy a car or move into a, a house.
0: Sue, I don't think you'll make us feel better when you answer this question, but is Ukraine funding? I mean, this will become law, I assume.
1: I don't see any way to stop it. There is some discussion here in Congress about tying it to security on our border. The problem is, I think if you give Biden more money for the border, he'll just process more illegal so-called refugees into the United States quicker. Uh, there is talk about limiting it to just lethal aid and telling Europe that you've got to prop up the government of Ukraine. But I doubt that will happen. Uh, you know, there may be some there may try to try tie some strings to it. But I think the money is going to go through anyway. And I'm worried about that. It's just going to again, 60 what what Biden has asked for, 60 billion dollars. That's how much we spend federally on all roads and bridges in a year in this country.
0: I have to ask you an unrelated question. that I don't, I don't know if you're prepared for it or not. Um, but so the, the military <laughs> has a problem uh, with recruitment and the military said pretty clearly we don't want any more white men who you know, fought all of our wars, but we don't want any more of them. Um, and then drove a lot of people out with, with the COVID uh, requirements, with the mandates. Um, now we have tens of millions of military age foreign nationals here illegally. Um, there have been calls in the Congress for those people to join the military, to fill the gap. So you could wind up with a military filled with people who are not Americans and have no loyalty to this country or knowledge of American history or affinity for the culture. Um, and And then you're Rome and then you collapse. Do you think that you will hear more calls in the Congress to solve the recruitment crisis with illegal aliens? I think you will and I
1: think it's a horrible idea and you you characterized the vaccine mandate correctly that was a purge that was an ideological purge of our military it was it was a, a loyalty test to a liberal agenda uh, It's sort of like taking the the sacrament. Um, in the, in the religion of COVID and if you wouldn't take the sacrament, then you had to, uh, you know, leave the military and now they're dealing with that. A lot of good people were forced out. I mean, pilots who had millions of dollars of training, special operators, uh, uh, you know, and it's sad now that, like you said, we're bringing in people with a different loyalty or no loyalty at all if that, if those senators get their way.
0: It's, it's absolutely terrifying. La- last question, a topic that most people aren't thinking about, I certainly don't understand, but I know you're focused on it, so it's probably important, and that's meat. And you've got a piece of legislation that will address what you think is a problem with the way the U.S. government regulates meat. Will you tell us what it is?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've got a bill called the Prime Act and it's in response to the fact that 85% of the meat that's served in the United States is processed by one of four meat packers and one of them's owned by China, one of them's owned by Brazil. So there's this monopoly on the meat industry and the irony is farmers can't sell directly to consumers in their own counties and their own states. They have to ship these things across the country and um it's, it's affecting the nutrition of our food, the safety of our food. So what my bill says is if the farmer is, and the consumer and the local processor are all in the same state, if there's no interstate commerce involved, then get the feds out of it. And yes. um, I've got some good news to report. We're making some progress on the Prime Act and may get some portion of it in the farm bill. I've been fighting for this for five or six years, ever since they got rid of country of origin labeling on meat in the United States. I I realized that this was something that I needed to get done. So we're working on it. We got good success. And uh, even working across the aisle, I've got Democrats who are helping to sponsor this. In fact, the main sponsor in the Senate, you uh, you may be able to guess this, is Angus King. He actually sounds like a a beef offering at at
0: one of the local fast food places. (laughs) He (laughs) does, actually. Foreign control of our food supply is a bad idea. And I hope everyone recognizes that. I mean, uh, Congressman, Absolutely. Look, this Mas- would be in the Bill of Rights if it w- weren't so obvious. Well, that's exactly right. It ought to be. Um, it's great to see you. Thank you for your bravery and the clarity of your positions. And I, I hope people listen to you. Thomas Massey of Kentucky. Thanks.